Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. (laughs) Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. And with me are two guys you know and maybe even love here at the Action Network, Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. And speaking of SiriusXM, we are joined by Jeff Ratcliffe, the director of fantasy at Pro Football Focus and an award-winning podcaster for SiriusXM Fantasy Radio. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited. It's finally July. It's 66 days until the start of the NFL season. It's, I always say like June sucks because it, there's nothing going on, A, eh? but at least this June went really quickly and football is in the air. Man, it seems as if the season really is uh, right around the corner. Great to have you on the episode. We are kicking off our position-by-position epic multi-episode breakdown. First, we're going to discuss our fantasy strategy for the quarterback position and outline how we each approach the position. And then we will do a full breakdown of the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks for 2019 by average draft position this episode is going to be so good in fact that you will immediately want to rate and review the show on apple podcast or wherever you get your podcast okay let's jump into the the episode and jeff i'd like to start with you to get some big picture thoughts about how you project quarterbacks because i'm sure that sort of flows from your your team level projections but just thoughts on how you you do your projections in general It does start at the team level. I've talked to different people about their processes and not nobody's 100% transparent about exactly what they do. But you know, Mike Clay, I've talked to Sean a bunch of times and John Paulson and John Hansen about how they go about theirs. And everybody has a little bit of a different approach. But I think really, you have to start at that team level, you have to project what you ultimately expect from the teams. And then you can factor in how the individual player performance 
you know, it, it is all a part of that. And, and there are certain players this year who I think where we have individual perceptions of, and then when we look at team level perceptions, there are some disparities there that may either overinflate their uh, draft day stock or p- perhaps make them a bit of a value. But yeah, that big picture, first and foremost, start with the teams. How do you kind of think about balancing questions that have to do with coaching and play callers and their tendencies versus the actual players on the field, the quarterbacks and the efficiency that historically we've seen out of them and how those those two different factors coalesce? Yeah, you obviously have to consider the play calling tendencies. You know, Russell Wilson is a guy who stands out there. Uh, when when you look at last year, I mean, he, he drops off essentially 100 passing attempts because of the play calling in that offense, yet he was extremely efficient in the same right. So there are certain efficiency stats that I like to look at. The one that I, I chart at PFF is end zone throws, which the year before Russ was off the charts on. Last year, he was the only quarterback in the NFL to have over 10% of his passing attempts go to the end zone, which is kind of crazy. He was neck and neck with Ben Roethlisberger, who had, what, like 200-plus more passing attempts than him. So all of those things sort of have to factor in together. But ultimately, you know, you have to consider play callers. I don't think there's any one aspect, though, that you can you can place too much stock into. There's no one answer. They all sort of have to be factored in. All right, Sean, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on projections. Given what Jeff has told us, what are your thoughts on how your process is similar to his or varies from his? Jeff nailed it. You know, there's a lot of similarities among us experts, but we, we have our own little quirks. And, you know, one thing I do is I, I factor in my NFL power ratings. So I project the spread and total for every game for the upcoming season. And so I also get, you know, the projected touchdowns for each offense. And I try to sort of regress that towards um, the pass run distribution I expect for those touchdowns, for example. So I have a bunch of different layers I'm, I'm adding in. And, you know, when it comes to football, there, there's a little more art to it than other sports. So, so I kind of blend the art and science aspect. And you guys talk about the different scheme changes or any sort of news. I think we kind of have to factor that in. So it's not just purely data-driven. Um, I think having that right balance between the two is key when it comes to sport like NFL. All right, Raybon, I'd like to get your thoughts. I feel like two to three times a year, I'm reminded that you have not missed a snap of NFL football <laughs> since, I believe, 2010. Yes. Uh, I'm wondering how that factors into your process at all, the fact that you actually do watch all of the games. But, of course, you're also coming from an accounting background, so you are uh, very familiar with and comfortable with handling data. Uh, what is a little bit of your process? Both of these guys already hit on, hit on a ton with the top-down projections. I think watching the games really just helps me to understand what I want to tinker with, kind of what Sean mentioned, that art part of it. Like when you watch a game, sometimes it can just give you an answer that you might have been crunching numbers or, or kind of sitting there in your spreadsheet trying to create a formula for hours or even days. So that's how I kind of use that. But um, just going back to quarterbacks and, and the process in general, um, I would say that for me, a quarterback's uh, you know, efficiencies – particularly his yards per attempt and his net yards per attempt, which just uh, includes sacks, is a major driver uh, for my top-down projection. So a team's top-down projection is going to change drastically when there's a different quarterback out there. So um, I kind of start with uh, who's the quarterback for this team, and that's how every other projection I'm making uh, is being driven. And it just comes down to understanding 
uh, which traits belong to whom. You know, you mentioned the play callers already. There's certain things. So, for example, wide receivers and their their average target depths. That's something that's going to be kind of a trait of the receiver and, and to an extent the play caller. But but then the quarterback's trait is okay. Well, does he actually pull the the trigger at these different depths. So a guy like Alex Smith, Derek Carr, those guys, they could have receivers running projected for high target depths, but they may not target them uh, as much. And then the accuracy is obviously the quarterback's trait. And then, you know, the yard after catch is the receiver's trait. So you kind of put all that together and you start to have a, uh, a process and a, and a general uh, plan of, of projections kind of come together um, once you kind of recognize and, and understand uh, mathematically just who, who, which traits belong to whom. And uh, help, watching games only helps accelerate uh, that process, I think. Jeff, for fantasy, how do you tend to approach the quarterback position? For this year specifically, do you have any big picture thoughts uh, starting out? A friend of ours in the industry said uh, late round approach is the way to go. But, you know, uh, of course, JJ, with that idea now seemingly industry standard, obviously hit on something that we were overvaluing quarterbacks. And a lot of folks out there pointed this out, overvaluing quarterbacks in today's era because there's just so many of them. There are so many who are producing 4,000 plus yard seasons, 30 plus touchdown seasons that I, I don't see any reason to to even be looking at quarterbacks early on. Uh, so what I basically establish for all positions is my, my draft board where I value a player, I give them a round grade, and then I'm looking at where the value falls. So I, I'm not saying don't draft Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, but I'm not even looking at him in the second round. But if Patrick Mahomes is there in the fourth round, I may be considering him. If Deshaun Watson is there in the sixth round, I may be considering him. Now, a lot of times in our home leagues, though, that's just not going to happen. So where in the home leagues, I'm looking to find value is in the later rounds. And I typically will draft two quarterbacks. I know that conventionally, traditionally, it was don't draft two quarterbacks. That's what all, all the industry pundits said. But what I like about my approach is I will draft a safe option. So for example, last year, my safe option was Phillip Rivers. He's probably not going to win you weeks, but he won't lose you weeks either in your regular season long leagues. And then draft an upside option, swing for the fences, because hey, if you miss on the guy, you're going to cut him. Not a big deal. So last year, Patrick Mahomes was the guy that everybody was recommending there. So if you went Rivers and Mahomes, you obviously hit a home run. But even if you went um, Rivers and Jimmy G, all right, well, you cut Jimmy G, big deal. You still had Rivers. You still got decent value on him, and you were able to, to move forward from there. So that's the approach that I typically use the most. Yeah, and Jeff, maybe last year was even a situation where you lose Jimmy G, but you're able to uh, pick up another quarterback uh, who can uh, you know, provide some value like Baker Mayfield, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts, Jeff, on, um, on this era of quarterbacking, which I think is especially conducive to the late round strategy anyway. Like, I think that's a good strategy as it is, but we're in this era where the older quarterbacks are aging well and they're still productive. And then you have this class of younger guys who have come in and they've been productive. And then also the style of game has changed where you have some passers, uh, some quarterbacks who are able to provide really good value as passers. But then you have this whole other type of quarterback who can also provide a lot of value with his legs. So it just seems like there are so many ways that so many of these guys can provide value Do you have any thoughts on why it is that the late round strategy is so good for this time? 
Well, you know, as you mentioned, especially when you factor in the running quarterback, so I call it the modern fantasy quarterback, the quarterback who can go out and, you know, think about it. If, if, they, if they rack up 40 yards on the ground as a runner, that's the same amount of fantasy points as if they pass for a touchdown, right, in most scoring formats. So that gives them that much higher floor. So it's not just that they have to be these traditional – drop back passers who are, you know, you're, you're hoping and maybe cracks 4,000 passing yards, you know, going, I go, I always go back to like 15 years ago when that was like a big deal. <laughs> you get a 4,000 yard passer or 30 touchdown season. You don't necessarily need that. And I think Lamar Jackson this year is going to be a very interesting case study. There's no way he averages over 17 carries a game. Like we saw when he was a starter at the end of last year, but does he crack 200 carries? I mean, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I'm not projecting him at that. I still have him below 200. But if he gets to that with his ability as a, a design runner, you know, that's the big difference between him and Josh Allen. Josh Allen, that was a bunch of scrambles. Lamar's were design runs. And, and so he was avoiding hits. He was, you know, very smart in a lot of instances. That gives him that extra higher, high floor that you ordinarily wouldn't get. Uh, so, you know, that opens up all these avenues. And Matt, I mentioned, you know, some of these sort of safer guys. Somebody like Kirk Cousins is, is really fascinating to me because people, you would, act, you would think that given the fantasy response to him, that he had an awful season last year. But the reality is he topped 30 touchdown passes for the first time in his career. He had another 4,000-yard year. And, and maybe it wasn't what people expected, but it wasn't as bad as, as people make it out to be. And this has depressed his ADP. So you're getting him as like the 20th quarterback off the board a lot of the time. And I'll take that all day long as a safe option if I don't have to spend any draft capital to get him. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sean, I'd like to get your thoughts on how you're approaching the quarterback position this year. And granted, there's a difference between single quarterback leagues and super flex or two quarterback leagues, and, and that can cause a big difference in how you approach the position. But just kind of big picture, what are your thoughts uh, entering drafts this year? Yeah, so I mean, it's frustrating because we all know that quarterback is by far the most important position in real life. But in, you know, a standard single QB league, I hate to say it, but it's almost like the kicker um, where you can basically punt on the position. And especially this year, the QB position is so deep. The waiver wire is going to be stacked all year. I mean, you're going to have guys like Rivers, Tom Brady, Jimmy G, maybe even like Lamar Jackson, Kirk Cousins available every week. So you could just basically play matchups and sort of create a QB six to QB eight just by streaming alone. So that, that's why people tend to stick to the you know, late round QB strategy and just take a flyer late. Um, so that's a frustrating thing about how, you know, fantasy football works out right now. Um, I prefer two QB leagues where the QB position is extremely valuable because you don't have that streaming option. You know, every, every given week, there's only 32 possible starters and even less when you factor in the buys. So you lose that ability to string QBs. Um, so, you know, in two QB leagues, you're going to see Mahomes, maybe even Watson go in the first round. Um, and then guys like Luck and Rodgers going in the second round. So I actually prefer two QB leagues because it makes the QB position as valuable as it should be, you know, like we're used to in real life. So as far as, you know, this year's concern, I'm all about the late round QB uh, for single QB leagues. Raybon, uh, how about you? How are you approaching quarterbacks entering drafts this year? I'm waiting um, almost always. I think it's gotten to the point where because there are guys, I mean, you look at a guy like Mitch Trubisky at 17 and some of the weapons he has, and, you know, he had the most 30-point fantasy games um, than any quarterback outside of Mahomes last year. You have Lamar Jackson going around ADP, you know, 18. Josh Allen was the, the top fantasy quarterback 
uh, for the last four or five weeks of last season. And you can get him sometimes in the 15 to 20 range. Um, a lot of these mobile guys uh, are dropping. And so um, what I'm really doing is that I'm just trying to kind of find outliers because I know that, um, you know, if I can't grab those outliers at a place I want in the draft, uh, I'm always going to be safe with a guy that I can get well after every single person in my league has taken a quarterback. So this year, uh, the potential outliers, I think, are Baker Mayfield. That's like, if you're going to draft a quarterback early, I think like that's the guy for me. I mean, with Odell Beckham, I just think his ceiling is on that Mahomes-type level, that 50-touchdown level if everyone stays healthy. Um, he was just amazing last year, what he was able to do with kind of a really shaky supporting cast. Uh, Higgins, Ratley, Rashad Perriman, all over nine yards in attempt to those guys. Uh, didn't even force it to, to Jarvis Landry or anything like that. So his upside is scary. Um, I think Kyler Murray, obviously, we talked about this ad nauseum, uh, has outlier potential, has that kind of, you know, dual threat, rushing, passing uh, potential, especially in that Cliff Kingsbury offense. Um, Jared Goff, I think, has huge upside this year because uh, you added Henderson, um, you're getting Cooper cut back, and Goff's attempt soars to, you know, the middle eights um, with, with Cup in the lineup, and now you're adding an explosive guy like Henderson. So I don't even think, you know, if you have Cooks, Cup, Woods, Gurley, Henderson, like Gurley's usage going down is not going to really hurt Goff at all. I don't think they may even throw the ball more. Uh, so, so those are some of the guys that, that I'm really kind of trying to pick out if I get an opportunity. But if not, I'm just taking the value as it falls because I can usually get a Lamar or a Josh Allen uh, for free, essentially. Yeah, my thoughts are uh, I'm waiting. And the first guy I'm really looking to get is probably Kyler Murray. Uh, my thought is I'm pretty much not looking to take anyone before Kyler Murray because I, I would rather have Kyler Murray later. Um, how much, uh, how yeah. much exposure do you already have? Cause I'm at a point where I'm like in my best ball leagues right now, I think I have something ridiculous, like, like 50% exposure. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Cause I still want more. I'm not can't surprised. Do that. Like, what do I do guys? Too much is not enough, but uh, yeah, that's way too much. I'll just say that's way too much. Jeff, way too much. On, on what is the proper amount of exposure to any one player, especially a quarterback? I wouldn't like to go any higher than 20% tops. Maybe. What about you guys? I mean, if you like him, go all in. I have no problem with it. You know, if, if he hits, and, and it, it depends where you're getting him, but, um, you know, you have Kyler ranked, what, top three now? Yeah. So if you stand by that conviction, you're getting him in, you know, round seven in a 12-teamer. You know, I'm all for loading up as much as you can. So, yeah, I'm saying don't hold back. Just go for it, Rayvon. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, these quarterbacks specifically. And let's start with uh, Patrick Mahomes, the guy who is is going off as the uh, quarterback one in almost every draft that you look at. Uh, and it makes sense. Uh, he was easily the best quarterback in the league last year, uh, especially from a, a raw production standpoint. But there are some big questions with him this year. Uh, one, does he provide any value? Last year he was available uh, later in the draft. Now he's going off as the first quarterback. And then uh, there are concerns about you know what we might see on the field how many games is Tyreek Hill going to play? How much regression is reasonable to expect? Because you have to assume that there is going to be some regression. Um, Jeff, what are your thoughts on Mahomes? Well, I think in home leagues, he, he very likely is going to go entirely too early. And, and let's be clear that home leagues today aren't the same as they were five years ago when you would see a lot more quarterbacks going early. You know, for folks who might be listening to this, you, you probably have noticed that in your home leagues – 
the first few rounds are pretty darn chalky, even for the knuckleheads who literally just printed out rankings that they got by Google searching and getting for free. They're, they're pretty chalky in the first couple rounds. But even there, I think he creeps up just a little bit more than he should uh, and goes in the second round. I think he's phenomenal, but the earliest I would even consider him would be in the fourth round, and he's never going to get there. You know, even in industry leagues, I'm seeing him go in the third round. So he's never going to get there, but regression is inevitable. I mean, when you consider the amount of 50 touchdown passing seasons that we've seen, 5,000-yard passing seasons that we've seen, regression is inevitable, but regression is still uh, a, a potentially a phenomenal season out of him. I mean, he could legit go – 4,736, which is like, you know, those are off the charts numbers anyway and still finish as the number one fantasy quarterback. It's just the challenge is getting him at the right value, and I don't think it's going to happen in most uh, home leagues this year. It makes me think a little bit of what we are seeing in baseball right now where last season there were just a ton of home runs and you think, oh, there has to be some progression. And then this year I think we're seeing 20% more home runs than we saw last year. Sean, is there a universe in which somehow Mahomes builds upon what he did last year and has uh, even a greater a greater performance <laughs> uh, I mean, of course there is. But, I mean, he had an 8.6 touchdown rate last year. So, I mean, that's just – there's no way he's going to be able to sustain that. So I have him closer to 6.1, which is future first ballot Hall of Famer. So I'm not really regressing him that much. But, you know, I have the, the Chiefs scoring around 28.7 points a game this year as opposed to 35.3. So I'm basically uh, docking them a touchdown per game. So I'm arriving at around 35 to 36 passing touchdowns. As Jeff said, that's still... Uh, by far the best out of all my projections. So even if he's regressing, it doesn't mean, you know, he's dropping out of my top slot. But we did have, you know, the previous year, we saw Alex Smith have, Alex Smith of all people, have a career in this offense. So this is an Andy Reid offense um, tailored to fit, you know, Patrick Mahomes' strength. So um, I think especially if Terry Kill, it sounds like he might only be suspended four games. We'll have to wait and see if he can, you know, play more than half the season. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy if Mahomes ends up throwing for over 40 touchdowns. Um, I just wouldn't bet on it. And so that's why, yeah, Jeff's right. You know, he's creeping in the second round now. I'm passing on that. But, you know, I'm in a lot of expert leagues where everybody's using a late round QB and he could fall to, say, round six. And I'll gladly take him there. But, um, yeah, right now I, I'm, I'm passing on his current ADP in uh, round three. All right, Raybon, you are someone who uh, definitely likes to wait at the position. I'm curious, where is the point where you would draft Mahomes? What round does he have to fall to for you to say, okay, like I know I can get Kyler Murray later, but there's absolutely no way I can pass on Mahomes at this spot? It's probably later than most. It's probably around, like Sean said, in that sixth, seventh round. I usually like to – and one of the reasons I like to, to employ the late-round quarterback strategy – well, two reasons. One – even if you employ it and everyone else does, it's not like, let's say, a zero running back where then you want to do the opposite. It's like if everyone else employs it, you could still wait on a quarterback and it's either you, you have needed to because everyone else waited or you would, like, in theory, still get the top selection. So um, really no downside, I think, to waiting. But the other reason I liked it is because I, I think you need at least one more player at each uh, of the running back and wide receiver positions than your starting lineup requires. So, for example, if you have, let's say, a, a league that – requires you to start two running backs, three wide receivers, and a flex. I usually wait till at least, you know, the double-digit rounds to take a quarterback because I don't just want to get those, you know, two running backs and those three wide receivers and a flex. I want to get now two extra running backs and uh, uh, an extra wide receiver or two, you know, extra wide receivers and extra running back 
um, before I even look at quarterback because those middle rounds, yes, there are riskier players. And maybe, you know, that's kind of when those, those, those stud quarterbacks start tempting people. But those picks can be extremely valuable. And it's a lot tougher to, to hit on the right guy the later in the draft you get. Um, you might get really lucky, but it's just harder to, to, to kind of spot. Whereas you're still getting guys, um, especially at the running back position, we, we, getting decent usage in, in those six through eight through nine rounds. And I think that's really a crucial part of the draft. Uh, that a lot of people overlook or they take a, a quarterback or they just go on auto draft or something like that. Um, but those are the rounds you really want to, um, to go to work and, and you can't really win a draft in the early rounds, but you can sure lose it. And I think for the most part, taking a quarterback um, is more likely to lose it. I want to find the next Mahomes. I don't want to now draft him at or above cost. I want to hope that Kyler is the next Mahomes or Goff or, or Baker Mayfield, even who's not going, who's still a stud quarterback and still going early, but even he's going three, four rounds after Mahomes in some leagues. So um, those are the kind of the guys that, that I would target if, if I was going to um, get tempted. All right. To put uh, a number to this, I have Mahomes as the guy most likely to lead the league in touchdown passes. Uh, I'm projecting 36.2 touchdowns. Right after him, I have Andrew Luck uh, just around 36. And Luck is the second quarterback off the board uh, going late in round four. I'm really intrigued by him uh, and by this Colts team as a whole. Um, I'm interested in the impact of Luck moving into uh, a second year of the system and really his first full offseason of health uh, when it comes to his shoulder and interested in the additions of Devin Funches and Paris Campbell and then the return of Jack Doyle. I think it's, it's a pretty loaded offense. Jeff, what are your thoughts on Andrew Luck? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said there. You look at what he was able to do last season when there were a lot of questions, Henry. Remember, let's not forget that Jacoby Brissett threw a Hail Mary, right? Everybody lost their freaking minds when Brissett was out there. And, and then what was luck down the stretch? 11 top 10 fantasy finishes over the final 13. He was rock solid. The shoulder looked fine. And you mentioned the biggest problem that we had last year was the wide receiver group. He was throwing to pretty much nobody and it's not that Devin Funches is a phenomenal player or anything like that, but as your number two to get another big body guy in there, another red zone presence, you know, so that uh, opposing defense were, you know, eventually going to figure out that Eric Ebron was going to be the only red zone target. Well, that's not the case anymore. And Paris Campbell, while he may not may not be doing much downfield for you, he, you know, his A dot at, at Ohio State was like six yards. <laughs> like he's not doing anything downfield. He does have the ability, though, to break plays as that short and intermediate uh, wide receiver. So getting him in there uh, certainly helps. I, I love everything that they have all around, but really just the system, how it's, how it's tailor-made to Andrew Luck's skill set uh, with the, the vertical concepts in there, the passing attempts alone. I mean, could he be well over 600 passing attempts again this year? Yes, I totally think he will be. Now, the one thing, though, that I think separates him, though, from maybe somebody like Deshaun Watson is, you know, you look at Watson, he has that higher floor as a runner, lower floor as a passer, but the higher floor as a runner. So I, it, when faced with that decision in best balls, I've probably gone about, you know, 65, 35 Watson to luck, but I have taken luck over, over Watson, you know, that like roughly one third of the time. I definitely hear you about the uh, the Watson over Luck. Uh, I'm, I'm with you there. But, w I mean, all of us, I think we have Luck as a, a top-five fantasy quarterback. And when he's been healthy each year of his career, except his rookie season, he's been a top-five fantasy quarterback. Sean, do you think that's exactly where he should be going? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Jeff mentioned the uh, the Hail Mary they brought in Brissett. And if you guys remember, I was freaking out about that because I, I had the similar injury, similar surgery. So, 
you know, but he shook off the rust starting in week four. Um, and, you know, week four on, he was the QB two. And like you guys mentioned, that was with considerably less weapons than he's going to have this year. So I love him as a high floor play. When, when it comes to luck, we also, you know, last year was the first full season where he didn't top 250 rushing yards or score two or more touchdowns um, on the ground. So I think that's something that we might be overlooking where his first year back from the surgery, he could have been protecting that a little more than we think. So I, I'm seeing some positive regression in the rushing stats, which could help his ceiling a little bit more. But I'm with you guys on um, Deshaun Watson. I have him ranked about the same, but I like Watson's upside a lot more. If you're going to be spending high capital this early on in the draft on the QB, I'd rather have a guy with uh, better odds of being the overall QB one. And I actually did uh, uh, 10,000 season simulation, um, and Deshaun Watson added 0.2 more wins than Luck. Um, just due to his high floor and high ceiling combo. I think Luck is, you know, he's a high floor guy who's basically guaranteeing you QB1 numbers every week, but he doesn't have that super high ceiling because Watson brings the rushing stats. So um, I'm typically favoring Watson between these two. Yeah, man, I was about to to, to, to say, like, uh, Jeff, I think I would have to uh, disagree with you about that, that Luck's a higher floor passer. I think Watson's a higher floor passer um, as well. Um, I mean, these guys already know my love for, for Deshaun, but two years in the league, 8.3, 8.2 yards in attempt. I mean, Luck was uh, at seven. He threw a lot of balls last year, partly because, um, yeah, the supporting cast, but he was just generally, um, you know, a little more inefficient on a, on a yardage basis and, and killed it in the red zone. He averaged 7.2 yards in attempt uh, a season ago. So, like, if you're talking about, like, Mahomes versus Watson versus Luck, who could regress the most, I actually think – uh, luck could actually be that person because it's hard to sustain that touchdown rate, um, especially if the, the yards per uh, attempt doesn't go up. And it should, and I love his weapons, but I still think he's like a lower floor guy than uh, the Watson, Mahomes, uh, Baker Mayfield, and those guys. Uh, because, you know, number one, Eric Ebron had an amazing season. Uh, you know, Funches is was kind of like a scrap heat player at this point. Uh, Campbell unproven you know a lot of guys who like it looks good on paper but I, I just see more downside whereas Watson you know even with QT and, and Will Fuller kind of in and out of the lineup all year um, st still remain just as efficient um, and does add that uh, that rushing ability. I, I will say though with with luck his overall floor seems a little bit safer because he's not he's not directly tied to any one receiver I think even if Hilton we're going to miss time. He has so many weapons that, you know, I, I don't see his value dropping much. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, if Devontae Adams goes down or Deshaun Watson, if Hopkins goes down, you know, their value is kind of tied to the top receiver. So I think Luck has that in his favor with all these weapons, the, um, you know, different skill sets. He can survive a little bit of bad injury luck uh, to his uh, receiving corpse. All right, Sean, you just mentioned Aaron Rodgers there. That's the guy I'd like to talk about next. He is uh, going third off the board uh, by ADP uh, in the middle of round five. Jeff, I'd like to know what you think uh, we are going to see out of him because it's this new era. Uh, it's hard to know exactly what we should see out of head coach Matt LaFleur in his, his first year really running the show. Last year with the Titans, he coordinated a very run-heavy offense. Uh, previously, as a quarterback's coach, uh, he was a part of offenses uh, with the Rams and then with the Falcons that skew towards the pass. Uh, obviously, with Aaron Rodgers, he's someone who's uh, been in a, a pass-heavy system previously. What do you think we're going to see out of him this year? It was a weird year last year for a number of reasons, but – 
When you look at Rodgers over the course of his career, he's a guy who has been able to produce fantasy value because of his touchdown efficiency, not because he was putting up crazy yards. I mean, he, he hasn't even come close uh, to a 5,000-yard season when you look at like somebody like Matt Ryan, who's been uh, you know within 100 yards in two of the last three years of a 5,000-yard season, but he has 240 touchdown passing seasons. He has a 39, a 38, you know, last year only 25. But in the same right, he had uh, 16 completions of 40 plus yards, which was tied for the league lead. Uh, you know, so there's that the big play in that offense that was kind of surprising and kind of hidden by the numbers. So looking forward to this year, I, I don't think you can make any argument that he should be in that conversation with Mahomes. But in this next tier, when we talk about guys like Luck, we talk about guys like Watson, he's in that tier for me. He's at the bottom of that tier. But I, I think that good things are going to happen going forward with Matt LaFleur. It's going to be a nice change from what we saw. Things got really stale at the end there, really vanilla with the Mike McCarthy offense. In any season in which Aaron Rodgers has played, let's say, like more than 10 games, or we'll just say a full 16-game season, because he has missed his two partial seasons, uh, seasons in which he's you know played only like five to seven games. In all of his full seasons, he's been, in most of them, a, a top two quarterback at no point has he finished uh, less than the fantasy number seven quarterback. Raybon has him ranked number seven, which I'm not going to say that seems egregious, but it's aggressively low. Sean, you and I both have him ranked in the top five. Can you talk about what you see out of him this year? And then we're going to see what Raybon thinks. Last year was almost the worst case scenario for him in a full season. Um, you know, he, he suffered that MCL injury in game one um, and then proceeded to play through it through the season. And we kind of saw he had, you know, he lacked the mobility we usually see out of Aaron Rodgers. And he only ended with uh, 25 passing touchdowns. So finishing QB8 in a season like that seems like his floor. I'm expecting him to bounce back in this LaFleur offense. I expect the need to be uh, closer to 100%. So yeah, I have him closer to the top three range we, we usually expect from him. Um, however, the market is definitely aware of that, and that's where he's being drafted. So I don't really see any value in taking him right now. I, I guess unless you're in a league that you know docks 10 points for interceptions, then I'm all in on Aaron Rodgers. But other than that, there just isn't much value to be had at him in the top three. But I think that's exactly where he should be going. So curious to hear what uh, Raybon has to say about his seventh ranking for him. The way I see it this year – I think a lot of people are kind of overrating some of the uh, the, the more proven guys, the, like the Rodgers, the Luck, and the, and the Breezes. And in reality, I think it's the, the the younger guns, the Mahomes, the Watsons, and the Mayfields that have the higher floor ceiling combo. So with Rodgers, it just comes down to, you know, Jeff hit on it when he said he hasn't been doing it with the yardage. I mean, he's been right around uh, the league average in yards per attempt each of the last four seasons. His touchdown-interception ratio has been amazing, yes, but – we still only have, as far as proven receivers on that team, Devontae Adams. And you compare that to, yes, even Luck with, you know, while I do see some more downside, even even the guys surrounding him, as we mentioned, you know, Mayfield with Odell and, and, and Njoku and Landry and, and Chubb and, and Hunt and just the guys that um, we saw him doing it. We saw him doing it with less last year. He, was, he averaged the second most uh, yards per attempt behind Mahomes over the second half of the season. Um, with not as much weaponry as he's going to have this year. Uh, so Rodgers, it's like, you know, Matt LaFleur on top of that, it's like 
What's his real claim to fame? Riding Derrick Henry like it's 1976. Like, I don't see anything that really makes me uh, want to reach on a quarterback uh, in terms of Aaron Rodgers, except his name being Aaron Rodgers. Whereas when, when I look at Mahomes or I look at, like, I'd rather take Mahomes in round two than, than Rodgers in round five, if that makes sense. I, I just think there's certain guys that have these monster ceilings. And, and I don't think Rodgers is one of them. This year, I think he's another guy who's just been, he's just such a good quarterback, one of the all-time greats. Um, But in fantasy, again, you know, as we've talked about all show, these fantasy points are kind of getting equalized. So you really need these outliers. And I just don't think Rodgers this year uh, is in position necessarily to post an outlier season or as much in position as some of these other guys that we've talked about. I I think the value in in terms of the Green Bay passing attack uh, outside of Devontae Adams, of course, is, is just grabbing some of these receivers late uh, I think there's a lot of different ways you could attack that Green Bay offense that doesn't involve burning an early or mid-round pick on Aaron Rodgers all right well going in that same general draft range as Rodgers is Deshaun Watson and Jeff you mentioned him earlier as someone you were interested in because of his rushing upside I actually have him as my number one quarterback in large part because of that rushing upside and I think his passing efficiency is good enough to, uh, to maybe give him the edge over Mahomes. One of my questions, what do you think of the impact of Will Fuller's health on Watson? Uh, he's someone who's been able to kind of be efficient regardless of, of what's been going on with his wide receiver group or you know just any of the pass catchers around him. But Fuller tore his ACL later in the season. I think people are assuming that he's going to be back to full health, but that seems like a, an assumption that might not be all that safe to make. But what are your thoughts on Watson? Well, we can't ever make the assumption of health with Will Fuller, unfortunately. If the dude could just stay healthy, he could be the you know modern-day Chris Carter because that's basically all he does is catch touchdowns. It's, it's really unbelievable. Last year, or the last two years, 60 catches, 11 touchdowns. It's 18.3%. That's unbelievable. With him on the field, with the connection that they've obviously shown between him and Watson, that's a good thing. Plus QT. Now, that, that's the, there's a lot of QT momentum, and I know that's not really the topic here, but a lot of momentum there, and every, a lot of people throwing out stats, and, and oftentimes the stats are when Fuller wasn't on the field. So we have to be a little bit careful there with the three of them on the field. I still think Fuller is going to you know, see the field a little bit more than QT, but that gives them a, that extra dynamic. They have all of those tight ends. They have 100 tight ends on the roster. You know, <laughs> they, they, there's a lot to like with Houston as a whole, plus the fact that Watson really didn't disappoint last year. I mean, he wasn't exactly – people were drafting him as as high as the second round at times. He wasn't quite that, but he ended up as the number four fantasy quarterback. You know, he put up really strong numbers as a whole. Uh, as, As a rusher, you know, obviously he brings that to the table as we know. But the fact that he was able to top 4,000 yards passing, I think, really says something. Because historically, a lot of times these rushing quarterbacks, you expect something like 36, 3,700 passing yards. He's up over four, and that was with his receivers being dinged up for a good chunk of the season and everybody knowing that Hopkins was going to see like 10 targets a game. I love him. I have him at number two. I'm not going to go as far as putting him at number one, but it would not shock me if he actually outscored Mahomes this year. Jeff, I love it, uh, the, the mention of all the tight ends. I mean, they, they have five tight ends named Jordan at this point. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little ridiculous. Sean, uh, you have him ranked number two. Uh, I mean, we all have him ranked in the top two. What are your quick thoughts on, uh, on Watson? Yeah, I have him ranked two, but, I mean, I got to be honest, he makes it difficult 
to use the late round QB strategy when, when, you know, if he falls to round six or something, it's, it's awfully tempting to scoop him up because, you know, I, I don't think your number one ranking is too crazy. Last year, again, it's sort of a worst case scenario and he ended up QB four. I mean, he was coming back from ACL uh, surgery, and then he had that chest injury he suffered in week five, or about five weeks after that. He wasn't the same. He didn't rush as much. Um, he averaged only 15 yards in that stretch. Um, it was so bad, he couldn't even um, fly in the plane with them. You know, once, once they had the bye week to recover, you know, if you look closer to 100%, he was the QB2 uh, from weeks 11 through 17. So I think just his upside's immense. Like you guys mentioned, you know, his receivers were banged up. So um, I would assume more, you know, injury luck in that aspect. And he'll have Fuller, QT, and Hopkins available more often. So I just think the sky's the limit with him. And I, I would almost have him almost the same odds as Mahomes to be the uh, overall QB1 uh, this year. So I think, you know, taking a guy this early in the draft at QB, you kind of want QB1 upside. And he, he brings that. Raymond, what are your thoughts on Watson? Is there any kind of like a like post-hype type of sleeper possibility with him? Absolutely. I mean, listen, Will Fuller's missed nine games last year. He missed six games the year before. Not all of them with Watson, but, you know, Will Fuller's barely been in the lineup. QT missed a third of the season last year. Yes, Hopkins has generally been healthy, but, you know, the guys have hit on it. We haven't even seen this guy's true upside. The average wide receiver only misses about a game a year. So if he just gets normal luck, and let's not forget, he, he did this whole – QB top five QB thing last year coming off a torn a midseason torn ACL his upside is silly I think again like these are the guys if you're if you're watching the games if you're paying attention don't draft the guy with just because he's name value that's just because he's been good for like five 10 15 years that makes you comfortable like Deshaun Watson is it he is the truth and if his receivers stay healthy he will put up a season like Patrick Mahomes I don't have any doubt about that because even in his rookie year uh, in 2017, he only played. He only started seven games, but he was on pace uh, over a full season uh, for 4,800 total yards and 48 touchdowns total. So he was right there with that same kind of season that Mahomes posted last year. And you know, maybe, maybe this is the year one of their tight ends is actually good. So you know, you never know. You have De- Deontay Foreman in the fold, so you might even be getting you know the best group of weapons, health provided that that Watson's ever had. So I mean, this guy's ceiling is, is ridiculous. After the top four guys, there's a little bit of a tear break in terms of ADP. And then the next guy we see is Baker Mayfield going in the late sixth, uh, sixth round. Jeff, I'm curious about what your thoughts are. The addition of Todd Monken uh, to the offense. Because with Tampa Bay last year, we saw a, a very vigorous downfield attack. And that seems to suit Mayfield's style. What do you think we're going to see out of him this year? It does suit his style. My concern is that, you know, anytime we get new head coaches in, we, you know, you could very easily have a situation where you get something like a Sean McVay scenario where the first year head coach hits the ground running. We've seen a a couple instances like Matt Nagy last year is a great example, you know, hit the ground running, the team immediately improved. Other times in, in recent history, we've seen new coaches struggle. So I don't know if we can necessarily just say, Freddie Kitchens, he's going to be the guy and have 100% confidence there. And same thing with Monken, and you don't like hearing reports that those two aren't meshing per se that well or Monken's not off to a good start. So it gives me a little bit of pause. Also, the fact that Baker, if his ADOT goes up, if he's throwing further downfield on average, his efficiency will suffer a little bit. In fact, when we ran models at Pro Football Focus, we did see you know instances where we could see more interceptions, we could see fewer completions. 
we could see some regression in his overall touchdown efficiency. So while a lot of people are all in on him, and, and I get it, I love him, I, you know, and he's the, the personality is infectious, the play is good, there's a lot to like there. Taking him as the fifth uh, quarterback off the board is too early for my liking. I, I like him more as maybe the seventh, eighth, ninth quarterback off the board, which you're probably not going to see because the buzz just is built so much with him. So I still think he's a QB one, like a top 12 quarterback, but I just, I'm not where everybody else is right now. I've been ranked a little bit lower. Sean, what do you think we're going to see with the addition of Odell Beckham? I mean, I can't really poke holes in anything with Mayfield. Uh, everything's a positive, and, you know, Odell Beckham's presence will only help Mayfield. It, you know, he likes to spread it around, so it's it's going to leave a lot of other guys open as well. You know, and Mayfield has some unrealized rushing potential, too. He, he kind of underwhelmed in that department last year, so I think we could see some positive regression there. Just I'm afraid of this tier in general, this, this mini tier of Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, and Russell Wilson. I consider them more of a two QB league tier. Um, so a single QB uh, draft. I'm usually avoiding this tier altogether. I have roughly 15 projected points separating my QB five to my QB 13. So it's just easier to wait, you know, several rounds to get guys that you're not seeing that much of a drop off. Um, but th- there's hard to, you know, knock on Mayfield's game. So I just, I think his, his ADP will only go up. So I just, I just don't think there's any plus EV there uh, right now. Hey, Sean, you know, you know why you don't like that Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Baker Mayfield tier? Why? Because Baker Mayfield is not supposed to be in that tier. <laughs> I would take him number one. I think he had 50 touchdown ups that I have literally. Wait, you would take him number one. I would take him over Mahomes right now, like in whatever round you ask me for right now. We have our draft on Monday, so I'm going to hold you to that. You guys are kind of sharp. I might have to wait on quarterback in that one, but no, um, I would. I would. I think that he started blossoming when Freddie Kitchens took over. So I think – when you're, you know, yes, Todd Munkin is coming through and, and whatnot, but I think that can only be looked at a positive when you look at, um, you know, the Tampa Bay's numbers. I think also that was just a lot of um, making do with what, what was going on in the, in the situation. I mean, Tampa Bay was turning the ball over, and they had Deshaun Jackson, and they had Jameis Winston. Um, but Baker Mayfield has shown, you know, again, second half of the year, 8.57 yards per attempt, only a tenth of a point behind Patrick Mahomes over that whole second half of the season, throwing, you know, over nine yards in attempt to Ratley and Higgins and, and, and Brashad, the ghost of Brashad Perriman and all these guys targeted Landry less, knows how to spread the ball around. This guy could have a historic season. I think like if you're trying to take a quarterback and it's in that middle tier, you're not just going to go extreme and wait. Like you really have to find it. You have to hit an outlier. Like it's not good enough anymore to just kind of hit like a, a, a solid, you know, top six guy. I think you really want that outlier season and that's what's going to put you over the top. Baker Mayfield might be on his way to break in Patrick Mahomes' records this year. All right. Well, it's not as if I want to be the guy who uh, is the Matt Ryan stan here. Um, but for a, a guy who, for the past three years, two of those years has been a top two fantasy quarterback. And as Jeff mentioned, uh, he's come pretty close to getting 5,000 passing yards a couple of times. Um, he's, I mean, I, I grant, Chris, that he's not, he doesn't seem to have the upside that Mayfield has. But on his own, he's a, a pretty solid passer, and he is reuniting with Dirk Cutter for whatever that is worth. And Jeff, I would like to get your thoughts on what you think that actually might be worth. Is, is that something that is good for Ryan, or is that just kind of uh, something that seems like a net neutral and we should expect from Ryan uh, some sort of average of what we've seen out of him for the past four or five years? 
I mean, first and foremost, if Patrick Mahomes didn't do what he did last year, and of course we could say that, but he did it. But regardless, if he didn't do that, would we not be talking about Matt Ryan a whole lot more right now? That was a quiet 4,924 passing yards, 35 passing touchdowns, and, and it's getting widely overlooked. And, you know, the complaint over the last couple seasons was, oh, well, Sark. It's all, it's Sark. Sark can't be an offensive coordinator at the NFL level. Well, now, I mean, Dirk Cutter has shown that he can do that. Last year, hey, it wasn't the best of seasons for the Buccaneers, but there were times where that offense was arguably the most explosive or right up there uh, passing offenses in the NFL. So I think it, if anything, is a good thing for him. I, I want to see the touchdown efficiency continue there. You know, I, I want to see the touch, the passing volume continue. I love getting Matt Ryan. If I can get him as the seventh quarterback off the board, which sometimes will happen, I will do that. And, and going back to something that Sean said, Deshaun Watson is a guy who I have taken in the sixth round a bunch of times. I've taken Matt Ryan in the eighth round. You know, instead of waiting and waiting and waiting and playing chicken with people, if he's there, why not just do it? If, it, if it's a guy who, as you said, has shown – the ability to put up a top two fantasy season more than once. All right, Rayvon, I want to kick it to you. If you're saying that the sixth round roughly is where you are waiting to take Patrick Mahomes, what is the round that you're waiting on for someone like Matt Ryan, who you think has a very limited upside? Oh, I don't think he has limited upside. I, I think he ha he's shown he has the upside. I think with him, he's another one of those guys that I think has a lower floor than we think. And because he's kind of a – a household name, a larger track record, people feel more comfortable taking him than maybe a guy like uh, Baker Mayfield. But I think it's silly not to pay attention to uh, Matt Ryan's career arc, okay? Because you guys mentioned Dirk Cutter, the new offensive coordinator. Well, it, the last four seasons, we've kind of seen Matt Ryan go up and down. What's been the one similar point between his two down seasons? It's been his first year with a new offensive coordinator. Yes, I know he's worked with Cutter before, but this is a disturbing trend of him kind of being a little slow to kind of readjust to, to these changes in scheme. And I think that kind of mirrors who Matt Ryan is as a quarterback. He's a little bit by the book. He's very smart, but also a little bit robotic. Uh, not really a guy that's going to make off schedule, off script plays. Not a guy that's going to give you a lot of, of rushing upside. So could Matt Ryan, um, you know, have a ceiling here with, with 5K yards and 35, 40 touchdowns? Absolutely. But I think the floor is still, you know, 20 touchdowns and, and 15 picks and everyone going what happened. All right, Sean, what are your thoughts here? I would say that last year was closer to his ceiling league, uh, ceiling season. Um, you know, they lost three key players on defense, I think, by week two. So they were kind of forced to throw a bit more to keep up. Um, so I think last year is closer to his ceiling than we realize. But with Matt Ryan, you know, he's just a solid high floor guy. So I don't like reaching for high floor QBs this early in the draft. So I'm avoiding him in single QB. But like I mentioned, in two QB leagues, He's the ideal guy I want to take early on. I try to get a high floor guy in two QB leagues. You know, he doesn't provide much rushing stats, but on, on the flip side, it keeps him healthy. He's, he's had, what, uh, nine straight seasons playing all 16 games. So I think he's just one of those steady QBs you can rely on, stay healthy, and put up solid numbers when he's in there. But he won't necessarily win you your league. So I'm not, I'm not spending high draft capital on him in single QB leagues. Okay, so uh, those are the top six. Uh, in the middle of the seventh round, we have Russell Wilson. Jeff, I'd like to get your thoughts on what we might expect to see out of that offense. Uh, in that Schottenheimer offense, it was a run-heavy scheme last year, the most run-heavy offense in the league, uh, excepting, of course, the Baltimore Ravens once Lamar Miller came in as the starting quarterback. But what do you think we're going to see out of that offense in terms of the run-pass split? 
a lot of what we saw last year, and I think it's really fascinating that they get DK Metcalf and and I will not call him Greg Jennings. I will not call him Greg Jennings. Gary Jennings, they get guys who can get downfield. So I think that's going to be interesting. Are they using the run to collapse the defense to then get vertical on the defense? Because we know Russ has a nice deep ball. The problem, of course, is it's going to be a continuation of lower pass volume. So that's going to hurt you know, his overall ceiling. But I don't have a problem with where he's going per se. He's another one. If he falls far enough, I'll take him. But uh, I'm not you know, necessarily uh, you know, scooping him up at ADP. Sean, can you talk about uh, what you see out of Russell Wilson? Raybon and I both have him ranked number 10. You have him number seven. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, so, I mean, similar to you guys, I'm not expecting him to maintain his efficiency from last year. So I'm, I'm actually factoring a ton of regression in his rate stats. But I'm still giving him a bit of a boost in attempts. I think that will regress up also. And I think it's, it's more of a balancing act where, you know, if he's not as efficient, they won't be able to run as much. You know, so I think... With him, you're you're gonna balance things out, and you're gonna get QB one production out of him. Um, you know, so I, I my projections are pretty modest, and he's still coming in at QB seven. Uh, I don't really like his upside in this range, so I've been avoiding him. But I'm only giving him you know 27 pass touchdowns, 400 rushing yards, and a touchdown and a half. So I'm just curious to hear uh, why you guys are so low on him because I feel like I'm being pretty uh, conservative with his projection, and he's still showing up uh, QB seven for me. For me, it's just, you know, as you guys have kind of mentioned, 35 touchdowns in 427 pass attempts. I mean, he, he's kind of mirroring uh, Andrew Luck in a way, except without all of the pass attempts, you know. Uh, also rushing less, which could regress back to the norm. But also, you know, he is 30 now. They are paying him exorbitant sums of money now. Their whole roster is essentially, essentially made in the image of Russell Wilson because they've had to let pretty much almost everyone else go and, and just kind of reacquire and keep recycling cheaper guys, younger guys, because they have, they're paying Russell Wilson so much. So they might just not want him to run. Uh, we've, this is not just something where it's like a, a blip on the radar. Like we've seen him uh, maintain efficiency, but also just maintain a low pass volume uh, you know, in the past, I mean, four times, five times in his career, he's been under 500. Three times he's been under 450, including last year at 427. So I just think that the way they love, you know, Pete Carroll still loves Chris Carson, who I think is at this point the best value uh, in the, the Seattle offense because now he's fallen to the fifth, sixth round in, in some drafts. Um, but, but Carroll loves Carson. Uh, Rashad Penny's a, a better back than, than, you know, his playing time indicated last year. He just couldn't see the field at times. But yes, their defense won't be that good, but that's part of the reason they're running the ball. And if uh, these running backs just jam in a bunch of touchdowns, Wilson could easily get down to 20 touchdowns. He's also with his guy without Doug Baldwin. Uh, just a lot, of, a lot of things kind of not to really like about Wilson. They'll, they'll win ugly if they have to. So I just – I agree with Sean. I just don't think it's uh, – where he's going, I don't think it's a high upside pick. I'd rather, for that, for all that, I'd rather just, you know, take a Watson a little bit earlier. All right, going in that same draft range is Drew Brees in the middle of the seventh round. Jeff, what do you think uh, we should expect to see out of the Saints? For the past couple of seasons, they've been more of a run-heavy team, whereas for the first decade that Drew Brees had in, uh, in New Orleans, that was a very pass-heavy offense that we saw. What do you think we're going to see now? Still more of, uh, you know, what we saw the past couple seasons. It'll be a whole heck of a lot of passing attempts to Michael Thomas. I do like me some Jared Cook. I will say that. I especially like where he's going in drafts. Uh, but the era where we could almost ink Drew Brees in for 5,000, yeah, that's long 
long, long past. But in that same vein, he's one of those higher floor quarterbacks who, you know, Sean mentioned, I think it's a great point that really needs to be taken. And if you're in two quarterback leagues, at least one of those guys being a high floor guy is, is pretty optimal. And, and Breeze fits the bill for that at this point in his career. All right, so the middle of the seventh round, that seems pretty aggressive for a guy who isn't seeing the passing volume that he, he saw previously. And, and Sean, all of us, all three of us uh, for Action Network, we have him ranked outside of the top 12. So uh, taking him at uh, quarterback eight seems pretty aggressive. Uh, you are the highest on him. You have him ranked 13th. Uh, Rayvon and I have him uh, 15th and 17th. What are your thoughts on Breeze? Yeah, so I still have him, you know, four to five rounds later than his ADP. So I'm basically getting no breeze this year. Um, And I think with him, his overall numbers should be fine. But last year, he surprisingly had a pretty low floor. It was about 25% of the games he finished outside of the top 20 QBs. Um, And, you know, when it comes to -to head-to-head, I always like to emphasize this um, just based on, you know, DFS strategy. But, you know, a lot of people talk about um, head-to-head fantasy football like, you know, they're trying to beat the entire league any given week. But in reality, you're facing just one opponent. So I typically like high floor players week to week. Um, and, you know, simulating out the season, I found that, you know, Breeze with that sort of erratic production actually hurts you. Um, so, you know, he's a guy I'm avoiding just based on his week to week volatility. Whereas, you know, by the end of the year, his numbers might look good, but he's, you know, he's such a high volatile player now um, where if they get up early and just run the ball, you know, you saw plenty of games where he had under 200 yards passing, maybe zero touchdowns. Um, I'm always worried that they're going to start to incorporate Taysom Hill even more. So he's just the guy I'm avoiding completely this year. Rayvon, I want to kick it to you to talk about Cam Newton. He's the guy who's going next off the board. Every year uh, in which he's been healthy, he's been a top five fantasy quarterback. Uh, Sean and I have him ranked in the top 10. You have him ranked number 15. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you expect out of Newton this year? Yeah, so, you know, I, the way I kind of project and rank is I, I do kind of account for, um, you know, off-season injuries. And because I know a lot of people are drafting, uh, using these rankings to draft for best ball, I will kind of knock guys down a little bit uh, until we kind of know that they're fully um, ready to go. So um, that was kind of my process uh, with Luck last year. Um, he obviously outperformed that, so I could have done to be more aggressive. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, this tends to help me um, more times than it hurts um, with, with these kind of guys. But I think if Newton, you know, is who he is and he's good off the, the, the shoulder injury, uh, I think you're going to get the same old Cam Newton uh, yet again. And he will be another guy that you can rely on. But just right now, uh, I think there are a few red flags just in terms of, you know, probably going to, to you know, getting older, probably going, you know, if he's not going to want to run a tiny bit less, um, the team is going to continue to want that. He is getting uh, better weapons around him, uh, but which, you know, is good for him as a passer. But as a guy who always made his living on that rushing, I think um, not necessarily the best thing for fantasy. Now, he does sometimes drop to, you know, that 10th, 11th, 12th, sometimes even further than that quarterback taken, at which point uh, I think you go right ahead and, and scoop that up. But he's just one of kind of many guys this year that I think could put up similar production with rushing upside. You know, you have a guy like 
Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen was the top quarterback in fantasy over the, the, the last four weeks of the season. Uh, you, you still have a guy like Dak Prescott who we're kind of forgetting about, but who is, you know has a, a lot of weapons around him now and a guy who has kind of uh, been pretty consistent as well. So uh, there are just a lot of guys that I think could replicate Cam's production, which is, the only, which is the only reason I have him lower a little lower because he's the guy that happens to be uh, a little nicked up. Jeff, we're going to see Cam Newton in his second year in North Turner's offense. And, you know, I'm expecting there to be some development out of two receivers I really like in DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. What are your thoughts on Newton for this season? Uh, fantasy players love to hate him. You know, there are certain guys that no matter what they do on the field, no matter what Jordan Howard does on the field, for some reason, every freaking year, people think he's going to be phenomenal. And I, I, I don't get that one. And the same thing, like opposite with Cam Newton and what I liked about him last year is, yes, the rushing production isn't what we saw, you know, maybe earlier in his career, but he still topped 100 rushing attempts in, in those 14 games. He had at least two passing scores in 11 consecutive games, though, from week two to week 13. So you had that. You didn't have the, the passing yardage, not massing, massive passage yard, passing yardage numbers, but you mentioned DJ Moore, who, yes, super exciting poised to break out Curtis Samuel with his upside you still have the stability with Greg Olson if you can stay healthy they have a bunch of pieces as as to who could be that number three receiver as well and then McCaffrey there I think all of this really helps Newton out and and what Raybon said it, it really rings true if Newton falls to like the 11th or 12th quarterback I mean it's almost a no-brainer you know you're getting him for you know pennies on the dollar ultimately there on draft day so I have no issue with it whatsoever yeah, and I think Jeff brings up a really good point. There's a there's a pretty important kind of like swing point in the draft where you don't want to kind of get tricked into taking a quarterback that Matt Ryan, that that Drew Brees tier. Like, don't take at the top or the front uh, of that tier. You know, wait and take at the back of that tier because, yeah, those guys are going to go like 7, 8, 9. But guess what? If they go 7, 8, 9, you guess who you're going to get like 10, 11, 12, 13? Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. And guys like that. So I think you really can afford to kind of wait once it gets past, you know, those, the, the, that top six. Once those guys are off the board, I don't think you need to, to reach on a breeze or something. Because, I mean, who's to say that a guy like Ben Roethlisberger uh, can't replicate the production of a breeze or a Matt Ryan? There's guys up to about that QB20 range that could replicate the production of these guys in the six to eight range. And I don't think the floors are drastically different. In fact, some of the floors are probably lower for the guys in that six through 10 range because just because you're taking them there. A lot of these guys, you can see the floors. Um, it's just that they kind of feel reliable and it feels like you waited long enough. I think that's a mistake. Sean, uh, Raybon mentioned earlier Carson Wentz as someone who could be an alternative to Cam Newton, uh, and he's going off the board next as the 10th quarterback early in the ninth round. Presumably, he's finally healthy. He has a lot of pass-catching options in Philadelphia. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Wentz is tricky. Um, you know, like you mentioned, he has a ton of pass-catching options. You know, he seems to be healthy going in this year. And I think with, with Nick Foles gone, I think it'll help you know, keep him on the field. I think he's going to be kind of forced to play when he's not 100%. So I think, um, you know, we can bank on a 16-game season from him. But um, with Wentz, I don't know if we're going to ever see that rushing upside. He flashed in uh, 2017 before the ACL tear. So that's why I'm a little hesitant taking him here when you have, you know, Kyler Murray being drafted around this range. So um, I, I think in this range, if, if I'm going to swing for the fences, I'd rather go with uh, Kyler Murray. But, you know, Carson Wentz could be a steal in round nine if, if he does regain that 2017 rushing form, but I'm just not banking on it. 
Jeff, what do you think? Uh, are we going to see that rushing potential out of Carson Wentz? I don't want to bank on that at all. I, I mean, I, I think the upside with Carson Wentz is with his arm, not necessarily his legs. Uh, that obviously, you know, got that, that was really the start of the entire problem there. So hopefully they keep the reins on that. But just the, the weapons that they have, you know, you keep going back to that with Philadelphia. And plus the fact that, you know, for uh, what I said about Jordan Howard earlier, the fact that they get Miles Sanders, who I'm really excited about as a pass catcher out of the backfield, adds that, that one element that they were really missing because they really had just a bunch of Jags back there, you know, who, who really couldn't do that much for them. So, I, I mean, with Wentz, I'm fine where he is. I don't think that we're going to see a return to the massive numbers of 2017 where he was the number two fantasy quarterback before he got hurt. But in the same right, I could certainly see him returning to a top 12. What about Jared Goff? He's the guy going off the board next as the 11th quarterback uh, in the same draft range early in round nine. What are your thoughts on him? Obviously, there are questions around – Cooper Cup and Todd Gurley and their health. Uh, and then there's also this question of kind of like who gets more of the credit for what has happened, uh, Goff or McVay? Uh, and can you kind of separate the quarterback from the system he's playing in? Or is it the weather? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, December, I don't know. I don't know if I have Jared Goff. I don't know how confident I am once the, uh, the weather cools off and his, you know, whatever, nine and a quarter inch hands are gripping the football. But, you know, ultimately, a lot of this is McVay. Goff, I'm glad to see that. You know, he really proved a lot of the doubters wrong with what he's been able to do, you know, really even over the last two seasons here. Because let's not forget there were a couple, you know, first overall finishes, uh, including week 16 in 2017 that he put up. I, I like the fact that largely he does get a little bit overlooked. You know, there's sometimes where these guys in this range of ADP, some will slip through the cracks. Some will hang around just a little bit longer. Depends on how folks draft in your league. And if you can get him outside of the top 12 quarterbacks, I pounce all day long. I'm not going to reach for him by any means. But, you know, you mentioned all the weapons. The system is just so conducive to creating mismatches uh, that I think he's, you know, set up for another strong year. Raybon, what do you think on him? Yeah, I totally agree with Jeff. I think that, you know, Jared Goff could be a, a, a horrible you know, pick as the quarterback nine, but an amazing pick as the QB 12. There's really just a, a swing point in that point of the draft where if you're in a one QB league, there is more supply of these high upside guys, then there's going to be demand for them. Uh, if you look at Jared Goff now, again, you know, yes, there is some concern about Cooper Cup coming off the ACL injury, but let's also remember on average that receivers are only going to miss about, uh, you know, about game and a half or so, uh, usually maybe just a game. Um, so if, as long as he's back, it's not like he's necessarily going to be, um, you know, out of the lineup. And, you know, over the last two years in the Sean McVay era, 23 regular season games with Cooper Cup in the lineup, Jared Goff has averaged 8.6 pass yards per attempt. Uh, in eight games with Cup out, he's down to only 7.3. So essentially, he goes from, uh, you know, a league average quarterback without Cooper Cup in the lineup to a, uh, you know, future Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, in yards per attempt, that is, uh, with Cup in the lineup. And I think Daryl Henderson, the, the rookie third rounder, uh, running back, adds another threat that can take one to the house. So it, it's a really high ceiling proposition to, to draft Goff. And he's just one of the reasons why I like passing on that, you know, Breeze, Ryan, Wilson tier and, and just waiting because he's one of like Goff, Wentz, um, perhaps Tyler Murray, even one of those guys is going to fall to you outside the top 12. All right. Well, uh, speaking of top 12, 
Kyler Murray is the guy going off the board as the 12th quarterback. Jeff, I would like to get your thoughts because there is a pretty big divide, I would say, uh, in the, the action network projection uh, population when it comes to Kyler Murray. Uh, Raybon and I are very bullish on him. We have him ranked inside our top four. There's a, a mini battle between Raybon and I to see which one of us can be more ridiculous in ranking him higher. Uh, and then Sean, to balance us out, uh, has Murray projected <laughs> at number 12. Sean, by the way, one of the best uh, projectionists in the world. Probably he's correct, but I'm, I'm going to be adamant that uh, I think Murray is someone who should be targeted very aggressively this year. Where are you coming down on Kyler Murray? Because I should just say, I think he's the dream. He is a highly efficient passing quarterback who can also run, and he's going to be playing in a fast-paced, pass-heavy offense. Like, that is the dream. But what are your thoughts? Well, I, I'm, I tend to be a little bit more conservative. I actually have him in the exact same spot as Sean at 12. But, I mean, I think there's a lot of assumptions that, that we have to make that I don't know if I want to make. You know, the, the thing about Kingsbury, it could be a high-paced, exciting offense. That's part of the range of expectations. But also in that range of expectations, the very bottom end is it could be Chip, Chip Kelly 2.0. Like, all of these things are possible. We need to keep that in, in consideration. Uh, but what do you have with Kyler Murray? Yes, the dynamic running ability, the fact that he can make big boy throws. He isn't quite Baker from that regard, but that offense didn't really look that much different with Kyler under center. He is every bit of five foot ten, though. I stood next to him. I, I was fortunate enough to meet him the day after he won the Heisman at, at CBS. And I stand about six foot two and I towered over him. So that is a concern. It's not as big of a concern as it would have been 20 years ago, but it's something that, that I do factor in a little bit there, plus all the uncertainties at wide receiver. I'd love to see Christian Kirk take a step forward. I'm not convinced to you, 100% convinced he will. I think he will, but I'm not, you know, all in. I like the rookies. I don't think Andy Isabella is going to see the field a ton with Larry Fitzgerald there. So Hakeem Butler is going to be on the field, who I love, but I don't know if he's going to make an immediate impact. So there's a lot of question marks, right? There's a lot of question marks. So that's why I kind of am not as bullish as you. I think reasonably, though, 12 is reasonably bullish for a rookie quarterback. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, this is the highest that, I mean, that I can remember a, a rookie quarterback being drafted. Most people are a, a little more cognizant of uh, being uh, aware of, of uh, the shortfalls that we often see with rookie quarterbacks. But, uh, Sean, okay, talk to us. You have him ranked 12th. I mean, you're, you're wrong, but no, no. Yeah, well, I mean, Go ahead. What do, you, what do you see out of him? I mean, just because I don't have him in the top five like you guys doesn't mean I don't like him. I feel like I'm just trying to hold down the fort as long as possible here. And, you know, I'm, I'm going with you guys to the Kyle Murray cult meetings. I'm just hanging out outside and uh, getting a drink of the after, but I'm trying not to go in. But who knows? I might join you guys soon. But, you know, when it, when it comes to Kyle Murray right now, you know, if he falls to the ninth, I'm taking him in every draft. I think that's sort of my, my draft process is, um, if Deshaun Watson falls to me in the sixth, I take him. If Kyler Murray falls to me in the ninth, I take him. If not, I just scoop up a Jameis Winston, Dak Prescott, or Lamar Jackson later. So, um, you know, Kyler Murray has QB1 overall upside, and getting him, you know, in the ninth round is too good to pass up. When it comes to, you know, the preseason coming up, I'm a little bit uh, worried if, if, they, if they come out firing right away that his ADP might rise. So I'll, I'll act accordingly. But do you guys think that they're going to unleash – the air raid right away or do you think they'll kind of hide that in the preseason um you know i'm just trying to predict what his adp is going to do once people see see this offense uh, in action 
That's a good question. I think his ADP is going to continue to rise. It's it's already risen throughout the offseason. And as uh, yeah, as we see some uh, preseason games, I think there's going to be enough excitement there to uh, continue to boost his draft stock. Raybon, what do you think is going to happen with his draft stock? And then just kind of big picture, what do you see now of Kyler Murray? I think his draft stock probably will rise because what is it? It's barely July and here all of us are talking about how, you know, Kyler Murray cult meetings and ranking him in the top five. And uh, so his draft stock is sure to rise. I think the preseason, um, he'll just be highly volatile either way. Like if, if he throws an interception, which I hope he does, I think his draft stock will probably take the biggest hit of anyone who ever threw an interception in the preseason. Um, but, but if he throws a touchdown, I think the same thing will happen. I mean, I just think he's going to be highly sensitive in that area. But bigger picture, I, I think this is another one of those guys who has that outlier potential. And you're getting him at a point in the draft where usually 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 quarterbacks have come off the board already. I think this is the guy uh, that you want to pull the trigger on because, yeah, you know, he has, the, he has everything in place. He has the talent. He has the, the rushing ability. He has the, the coach. It's all potential. But this is how you win in fantasy football. This is how you win in, in betting. This is how you win in anything where you're kind of speculating. You have to be ahead of the curve. You have to buy low. This is still buying low on Kyler Murray when you're getting him as a QB 8, 9, 10. You're getting him in the 8th, ninth round. So think about it this way. What is Kyler Murray, Murray's ADP? likely to do between this season and next season like you most people even if they're kind of a, a little bit conservative on him would agree that it, it will likely go up well guess what Deshaun Watson Russell Wilson Cam Newton uh these are just some of the guys who had monster you know big big years as rookies they didn't the mobile quarterbacks in general I wrote about this on the Action Network and discussing Mahomes and how they were foolish for sitting him in Kansas City but uh these mobile quarterbacks it doesn't really take that, that second year for them to, to flourish, especially for fantasy purposes. You're seeing these guys do it, Dak Prescott even. Uh, these guys are doing it right away. And so uh, I wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger on Murray uh, pretty much any time he falls to me after I, I got my, uh, my backs and receivers. Yeah, and I, I kind of like where our consensus rank is right now. And I'm playing around with our customizable draft sheet, um, which – should be available uh, next week. Um, and we have Kyler Murray going in the late second round in two QB formats. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Is there uh, anything going on at PFF that you want to talk to us about? Yeah, lots of goodies. Of course, we just launched, you mentioned at the beginning of the show at, uh, at Sirius XM. We're back to daily now. We're at 1 p.m. Eastern uh, there, Sirius 210, XM 87. And then over at PFF, the fantasy playbook, the draft guide that is a labor of love from yours truly is launching uh, in mid-July here. Uh, so go check that out over there at profootballfocus.com. All right. Be sure to follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Ratcliffe. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Next episode, we'll be looking at late-round quarterbacks. Till then, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. See you again next episode.